0: quarantine and, uh, the restrictions that we have been other, under have been narrow whenever last night I was out in my garage and I was going back to strip a piece of furniture and my son Trevor came out to me in the garage and he said, well, he said, are you getting back to the task at hand? I said, yes, I am. He said, I don't think I've ever used that phrase before. He said, I believe I didn't scratch that off my bucket list. So you know, quarantine and times have become restrictive. When an 11 year old has on his bucket list a phrase, rather than going somewhere or, you know, some other achievement, whenever, whenever your bucket list has just come down to phrases, you know you've been living a life of quarantine and restrictions. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Trevor, uh, for that. John chapter number one. John chapter number one, and I'm going to, and it's going to seem, it's going to appear as though I'm going backwards tonight, like we're supposed to be getting to the end of the first chapter. I'm going back to John chapter one and verse number seven. I want to read that, but in essence, John chapter number one and verse number seven is played out, displayed, conveyed, whatever you want to call it, uh, in verses 35 through 51. And uh, so we're going to look at that here this evening. I, I wish I could just, I could read verses 35 through 51 to give you kind of a basis or a grounds uh, for where we are traveling through tonight. Um, I probably won't do that. I could do that. Uh, you can take time while I'm praying to do it if you want. Uh, but uh, again, uh, our church family knows this, but as we go through You know we're going to be in one chapter or the next. It might not be bad from week to week to familiarize yourself uh, with some of the content of the chapter. Just take the chapter and read it, and you have a little bit of familiarity, and um, that keeps me from having to read every verse. Uh, But I will say tonight that whenever I finish this evening, there are still some real good little uh, concepts left in John in those verses 35 through 51 that uh i don't know if i'll put together just one more lesson from chapter one to bring this to the end or if i might not just do a few little sitting behind the desk video little extras between now and next wednesday uh, for that i don't know yet we'll see we'll see what we do okay john one and verse number seven we've read this before but the bible says the same and it's speaking of john the baptist here the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light jesus christ that all men through him might be saved. that all men through the witness john the baptist might believe rather not say that all men through him might believe and so tonight i want to talk to us uh, along these lines, all through one, all through one, all right. And again, this is this is. Uh, I'm telling you, as uh, there's just sometimes you just study the Word of God, and I just marvel, marvel at God's Word, really do. And so, uh, the past few days as i've studied this and contemplated this and turned this over in my mind this is just one of those times when i look at john 7 and seeing it played out in verses 35 through 51 that i just marvel marvel at god's word so let's pray tonight father we come to you here this evening so thankful tonight god for yet another opportunity to share the word of the lord god to share the scriptures god i pray oh lord help me in my mind Lord, let it be stayed upon you. Mark every bit of air, Lord, from my mind. God, to be able to speak, Lord, the truth of this word. And speak it, Lord, in an understandable way or fashion, God, so that the hearers, God, will understand and pick up on, Lord, how this fitly framed word, Lord God, fits together here in John chapter number 1. And we'll thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you tonight. In Jesus' name. Again, our subject matter from verse 7 and playing throughout the rest of the chapter of John 1 is all through one. And so you may ask then me, well, Pastor McGee, how does all through one work? Meaning from the perspective of verse number 7, how does this concept that all men through him or all men through John the Baptist might believe that that would seem like a difficult task for one man. And I would suppose just directly looking at it that that it is. But this this bearing witness of the light, which was the responsibility, the role uh, uh, and position of John the Baptist that all men through him might believe it seems like a very tall order for John the Baptist for that matter, whoever the person would have been that would have been a very tall order for them. It would look to be and appear as a unrealistic expectation to have of an individual or a statement to be made about an individual. But it is here and in, in, in throughout the rest of the chapter, verses 35 through 51, as I have stated, that clarity is given to how this all men through him might believe Clarity is given to how that was accomplished and furthermore, how that is continuing to be accomplished even still in our generation in our age. Uh, the interest, according to the word of God, the interest is stirred by the witness. Uh, inside of another individual. John the Baptist was stirring up interest in the Lord Jesus Christ by his witness, his proclamation, his testimony. But the belief, the, the well-founded, stable belief of the individual, uh, such as we read in the closing uh, verses of John 1, such as Andrew, that, that firm belief of the individual is sealed by an encounter with jesus christ so whereas john the baptist as a witness stirs up the interest in the lord the totality of the belief becomes concrete and real and stable by that person that john is witnessing to having an encounter with the lord jesus christ jesus in his encounter with this person that, that John the Baptist has stirred up interest in for the Lord, Jesus always puts his finishing touches, if you will, upon them and any uncertainty or doubts that they may have in regard in their heart and mind and so this is one reason then as a witness john the baptist uh, bearing witness of the light one reason why it's why it is important for john to encourage the individual uh, and even help in facilitating an encounter with the lord jesus christ John's responsibility then is not different from our responsibility now. We are used as witnesses of the Lord to stir up interest in the Lord Jesus Christ, but hopefully in some measure way help facilitate or encourage a connection and encounter for that person with the Lord, so that they can uh, come from a place of just being interested to a concrete belief and stability. Of belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so John the Baptist he he draws. We see in verses thirty one on or thirty five onward that John the Baptist draws the attention of a couple of his own disciples, uh, disciples that were known to be the disciples of John the Baptist. He draws their attention to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they in turn, those couple of disciples, then turn and and bring other people. To Jesus, Or in some modes, they take Jesus to some of these other individuals that need to know the Lord or have a relationship with the Lord. But it's important to denote, and, and we'll see this as the lesson goes on. Some things come clear as we begin to speak about them. John the Baptist, though, started as the sole witness, or at least as John would state, the one that was to bear witness of the light as the sole witness. But John would Duplicate witnesses through Andrew and through Peter and through different ones. He would duplicate witnesses. And as a result of that, then witnesses begin to proliferate all these different regions of Israel until... Even quite possibly still yet today, uh, that that pebble that fell in the water, its ripples are still going on. What started with John the Baptist is still going on today with us as being witnesses for the Lord for the purpose that all might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it starts with John, but that witness base uh, enlarges every time that a new person believes or trusts, as we've looked for the context of John, trusts and commits and obeys the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. It started with John, but it's ever-expanding. Amen. As John witnessed to some, and then as those people witness to other people, and, those, and so the numbers grow, they intensify, hopefully, then to the case, Our our purpose is that all men then would hear and hopefully ultimately make a decision to believe. And so within this model, within this concept, uh, uh, within this model is our concept then of a witness. So how can one man... Maybe influence all men or, or, or uh, how can one man have an impact upon all, all men? Here is the answer that, that I hope we'll answer through this lesson tonight. One man may possibly influence all men by simply influencing just one or two more. See, we get stumped sometimes and we get intimidated at times, uh, I think, with the all men syndrome. I'm sure probably John felt overwhelmed at the beginning as well. But since we are sometimes intimidated or overwhelmed by the all men syndrome, what that causes for some of us is to fail even to witness to one man. Because we feel the burden or even if you will, uh, the responsibility that John held that we believe we all hold and that is for all men. But who knows it tonight? Who knows if the one witness you help and you duplicate a witness by ministering to one, and they have a found a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, who knows that just that one person that you find may not lead a, a drove of witnesses to the Lord in their lifetime and even beyond your lifetime we have seen that in the scripture. We see that in real life. Someone, amen, might be very un- 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 unassuming and they witness to one person, then that person may just be, if you will, a firebox of a witness that will influence several lives. Amen. And so we want to keep that in mind here this evening. And so John the Baptist, we read in verses 35 through 42 that John the Baptist, he directs two of his disciples He's walking, he sees Jesus approaching and for the second time in this chapter we see him exclaim as though he would make some type of motion or or direction toward Jesus Christ. He says to these two disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. And being that they are John's disciples, they undoubtedly have heard, undoubtedly have heard, uh, John's uh, discourse on how there's one coming after him who is preferred before him. They have no doubt have been taught that the one that is to come that will baptize with the Holy Ghost. They have been taught about how this person that is coming, that he's not even worthy to, you know, kneel down and unlatch his sandal. They've been taught all of this. And so whenever they hear, amen, that this person is the Lamb of God, one that John even would have ascribed and has described that he is the son of God, that when they hear that, uh, they begin to follow this individual. They begin to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can see this very clearly. It is known that in the time of the gospels that whenever we come across the word disciple, that uh, a disciple was not just a, a learner or a pupil in these times, Uh, Historians and scholars tell us that it also meant that they were adherent. In other words, they adhered to a great teacher and they adhered to a school. And so if these two individuals were disciples, learners, pupils, or more importantly, adherers of John the Baptist, whenever he said, this is the lamb of God, then they're going to take note of that. Amen. And because they're loyal to John the Baptist and dedicated to him, they're going to follow his promptings. They're going to follow his urgings. And so based upon John the Baptist's recommendation, these guys began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know according to the rest of the scriptures that these men became Disciples of Jesus Christ one of the two the Bible says that was of the couple was Andrew we see Andrew throughout the other Gospels of the scriptures in that list as being one of the 12 disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ but formally he was a disciple of John the Baptist but because of John's witness. All right, because of John's witness and stirring up the interest in the mind of this disciple, this disciple follows the Lord, that Lord becomes his teacher, and ultimately his belief is in the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, as these two disciples approach Jesus, after John recommends this, they call Jesus, they approach him and call him Rabbi. Rabbi literally means my great one. But it was a common term uh, that students use to address and give honor uh, to their teachers. But our author, John, all right, he oftentimes he interprets Jewish words for his audience throughout the book of John. And so he tells us that he said rabbi, which is interpreted to mean master. All right. And so whenever these two disciples start following Jesus, they approach him and address him as rabbi. That's honorable. That's respectful. But being that John the Baptist had been their teacher, now they have made a transference by calling him rabbi. They're calling Jesus master. And the scripture is replete whenever it says this, that no man can serve two what? Masters. And so they have given now their honor, their loyalty that they had in John. They have now given that to the Lord Jesus Christ because John has pointed them in that direction. He has been a witness. He is pointing toward, if you will, the light. As a matter of fact, throughout the history of the first century, second century, so on and so forth, it wasn't uncommon for a rabbi to be so impressed with another rabbi and his teachings in that that impressed rabbi would would urge his pupils or his disciples to start following the other rabbi and in many cases the impressed rabbi himself would start following him because he felt as though he could learn and glean from that individual and so this is certainly the case with John the Baptist we'll see later in chapter number 3 that that uh, that quote or that statement that is tethered to John the Baptist about he must what increase and but I must decrease and so John is recognizing that and causing others underneath his care to recognize that through his witness we know one of the disciples that followed the advice of John the Baptist again was Andrew we see that in the setting of the scripture here in the latter portion of John chapter number one. We're never told in the chapter who the other disciple was. There was two of them, Andrew and someone else. We're never told who the other disciple was. However, some believe, and I'm just putting this forward as a school of thought, some believe that it was John the Beloved or John, the one who is writing the gospel of John. All right? Because whenever these two guys eventually want to know where the Lord lives, and they go and see it, and they abide there, John the Beloved, the writer of this gospel, pins in verse 39, it was about the 10th hour of the day. That's a pretty detailed time frame for someone to give that isn't there. All right, and so based upon that idea, there is a school thought that perhaps the other disciple that is unmentioned along with Andrew may very well be John the beloved. That's just a good thing for consideration. Think about it, mull it over in your mind. But here it is though, already starting, starting with John the Baptist. Now his two disciples switched over to Jesus. We're already starting to see a man all through one. We're seeing an ever-widening of the witness base of the Lord Jesus Christ because John the Baptist advises Andrew and perhaps John or another disciple, and now the Scripture tells us in, in, in these verses that Andrew first finds his own brother, Simon Peter. So John has influenced Andrew, and now Andrew is about ready to influence Simon Peter the broadening of the witness base. As a matter of fact, and some even speculate, again, this is just things to consider when I present this as just a school of thought, that some speculate that since the Bible says Andrew first found his brother, that that meant the other disciple, all right, that has nameless, that we presume could be John, that since Andrew first found his brother, that, that meant that the other disciple then also found his brother as well. If that disciple was John, that would mean that he had found perhaps James. And we see the Peter, James, John, Andrew, a quartet, if you will, uh, through Scripture. They're all fishermen. All right. Nonetheless, uh, they were all also a part of the, the 12 disciples that are mentioned in the different lists throughout the Gospels as well. Again, just something interesting to consider. Nonetheless, let's stop here for a moment as we see this this witness base getting larger, John the Baptist to Andrew, Andrew to Simon Peter, let's just take a moment and realize the impact that the apostle Peter had on the rest of the world. Hmm. Speaking about all through one, starting with John the Baptist, let's think about the impact that now just a few tears down that Peter would have on the rest of the world as being a witness for the Lord. The preacher on the day of Pentecost, right? Huh? That whenever the days end, there were in addition to the 120 in the upper room after Peter spoke and preached and answered their questions, about 3,000 others were impacted for the Lord by the days end. And so we see them, Peter's witness affecting others even throughout the pages of the book of Acts. And he's just one, two, just one, two from John the Baptist, one man. That through him, John 7 tells us, John 1, 7, that through him all might believe. And 3,000 already in Acts are being impacted by the apostle Peter, not to mention who's impacted throughout the pages of the book of Acts. And this is because John the Baptist directed Andrew, and Andrew found and brought his brother Peter to Jesus. And just think for a moment, if it was possible, think if we could trace everyone that Peter persuaded I'm sure it would be astounding both in in quantity and in quality of the number of people that the Apostle Apostle Peter affected for the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it started with one witness, John the Baptist. But that's all great and fine. But consider this as well. Andrew went and got Simon Peter, right? He found his own brother, Simon Peter. Well, you know, let's not forget about poor old Andrew because he is somewhat stepped over in the scripture. Even in our own lives, you'll talk and preach about Peter. You may mention James and John. You'll mention those three together for sure because they they are the three that seen the transfiguration. They are the three that seen some of the dead raised alive. Again, they are some of that inner circle. They're, They're the ones that in the garden of Gethsemane that were asked to go a little bit further and then Jesus went a little further to pray. And so it's like this special group, but you don't see Andrew. Yeah, Andrew had the impact on Peter even being there. So let's not forget about Andrew because he's all times in the scripture. If his name isn't stated, he is referred to as he is here in John 1, Simon Peter's brother. Now, wouldn't that be great? Always living in the shadow of your brother. It's like I have a name too, right? Huh? No, that's Simon Peter's brother. Be like everybody calling me Roberta's brother. Who's your pastor? Roberta's brother. You know, it's you're living in the shadow of somebody else, and he's referred to all throughout the gospels many times as just Simon Peter's brother. Even here in the beginning of John, Simon Peter's brother, because the gospel of John, the fourth gospel is written from what we can see probably after the other three gospels. And so people, if they don't know Peter personally, they've read about him or know something about him, perhaps even from writings. And so they have an idea of who Peter is and all the great exploits of Peter. And so we'll just, you know, if you don't have a direct line of, of reference for Andrew, just allow that prominent individual Peter to be the reference, Simon Peter's brother. And so he's overshadowed them by Peter, a man in his life. And so many people don't even know much about Andrew, but everybody knew something about Peter. But here's the thing. Andrew not being a part of the inner circle of Peter and James and John, still Andrew was very instrumental then in getting Peter introduced to Jesus. Now, listen, please don't misquote me. I'm not saying that if it wasn't for Andrew, then Peter would have never came. Perhaps there would have been some other way. But I am underscoring the fact that Peter did come to know and believe in the Lord because of Andrew. Because of Andrew. All right? Andrew was one of the first to follow Christ here in the context of John. He introduces Peter, yet Peter gets the limelight. Now, just think here with me for a moment. And yet we never see any notion in scripture where Andrew disdained Peter for getting the limelight. Andrew understands this. I'm a witness of the light. John has witnessed to me, and now I am a witness of that. And we see him in the cases where there is record of what he did in Scripture. We see him consistently doing that. We see him bring Peter to the Lord. And later, whenever the multitudes are hungry and they are famished, and there is a lad out there among the people that have some loaves and fishes, you know who brought the lad to Jesus? Andrew. And then later, whenever there is a group of Greek people, Greeks, that is, that are desiring, they came to Philip first, and they spoke to Philip in John 12. They said, sir, we would see Jesus. You know what Philip did? He went and found Andrew, and Andrew took them on to Jesus. And so in the modes where we see Andrew pop up in Scripture, we see him taking people to Jesus. He is a witness. He understands himself to be the light. And that's virtually really all we know about Andrew. With Peter and with the lad and with the Greeks, he's bringing people to Jesus. He's unnoticed by and large. He's underappreciated, I would say, all but forgotten. But what would some of the ministry be without him? Without a Andrew and I'm saying maybe, not ultimately, but without a Andrew maybe there would not have been the great preacher of Peter on the day of Pentecost. Without Andrew there would been. an A multitude of people, perhaps in that context, unfed because he brought the lad. Without Andrew, amen, perhaps those Greeks would have not had the opportunity to get to know the Lord. And here's something of just interest concerning those Greeks. Tradition says that one of those Greeks was Luke, the physician, who authored and wrote the book or wrote the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. Thank God for the Andrews. He's probably perhaps, and then maybe not according to scripture, but he's probably one of the more attractive people of the apostolic band because consider this, he has a couple characteristic traits that are uh, outstanding, that are notable. Number one, he was a man that was prepared, if necessary, to take second place. He did to his own brother, all right? He's prepared to take second place. And number two, he was a man that was always introducing others to Jesus. Now, watch me right here. I wonder where Andrew, one of the first followers of the Lord that John the Baptist said, hey, behold the lamb. I wonder where Andrew learned those traits from. Perhaps his former rabbi, John the Baptist, who also understood what it meant and when it was necessary to take second place and how to be a witness and bring others to the Lord and so I don't want to be misunderstood here this evening I probably will be even if I say I don't want to be misunderstood but that's okay Um, I don't want my purpose to be misunderstood I'm not trying to glorify the person John the Baptist as much as I want to elevate the role and the responsibility of being a witness and the impact that one can have for all or many. The Bible says in John chapter number one and verse number 43. And again, uh, I hope you track with me here in the story since we didn't read it. All right. John one and verse 43, the day following. So we're talking about this is after Andrew and uh, the other disciples come to the Lord and after Andrew has found uh, Simon Peter and has brought him to the Lord. The Bible says the day following Jesus, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find a Philip and saith unto him, follow me. Now, I want you to just kind of walk with me here, okay? In our English Bibles, in verse 43... Jesus finds, as it's stated here in the scripture, Jesus finds Philip, all right? Philip was from the same region as Andrew and Peter, we learn. Uh, they were from Bethsaida, all right? Which consequently means house of fish or, 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 or place of fishing. That's good for some fishermen, right? And uh, it is quite possible that Jesus approached Philip because we have something different. First, Andrew had brought Simon to the Lord, right? So now we see this that Jesus speaks unto Philip and says unto him, "Follow him," according to the English Bibles. And that's quite prop. That's, that's quite possible. Even today, we know in the real world, speaking of, of the spirit of God, that uh, there are times that the Spirit of God may draw somebody to himself without any human intervention, right? There are times that people have said, I just felt like coming to church. I felt prompted. No one spoke to them. No one said anything. It's just a prompting of the spirit. So that very well could take place. Jesus drawing someone himself. However, this is where I need you to walk with me. According to uh, D.A. Carson, he says the Greek text leaves this all kind of open. He says the Greek text says it like this, translated. The next day he decided to leave for Galilee and found Philip, Jesus said to him, so on and so forth. With that being said, in other words, it doesn't necessarily denote that the he is Jesus, just says he. So if you look at John 1 and verse 42 and consider, and even John 41, again, he first findeth his own brother in John 41 is speaking of Andrew. You get to verse 42, and he, that's speaking of Andrew, brought him, Simon, to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. You get to verse 43 then, if it's translated as the Greek text, that next day he decided to leave for Galilee and found Philip. And then Jesus said unto Philip, Is it possible, is it possible that the he in verse 43 of the Greek text is still yet speaking about Andrew. He brought Simon to Jesus and Jesus spoke to Simon. The next day, verse number 43, Andrew brought Jesus to Philip. And Jesus spoke to Philip. Again, this he starting even in verse number 41 is constantly referring to Andrew. I'm just throwing this out here. For consideration, because whenever you think about this, and let me just read a couple of versions uh, outside of the uh, uh, the King James, the American Standard Version has it like this, uh, verse 43. On the morrow, he was minded to go forth into Galilee, and he find a Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. Again, taking that in the whole context of the scripture that we're reading, the English Revised Version says, On the morrow, he was minded to go forth into Galilee, and he find a Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. There are several Bible translations. I've read a bunch of them today. There are several Bible translations that translate the he as being Jesus, finding Philip. And yet there are others like the few that I've given to thee tonight that leaves the he uh, undefined or unaccounted for. There are even some beyond which I gave you tonight. It leaves the he, if you will, open. So I'm just presenting this tonight, thinking with me all through one. If the he of the Greek text is indeed Andrew, then this passage consistently pictures people's introduction to the Lord based upon another's witness of the Lord. Whether they brought that individual to Jesus or like in verses 43, perhaps them bringing Jesus to where they were. Phew. Because we look then in verse number 45, look what happens with Philip. Philip finds Nathanael. Verse 49, Nathanael proclaims his belief in the Lord. And then in verse 50, Jesus was so impressed how quick and easy it was that Nathanael believed in him. So if we take the he of the Greek text of verse 43 to be Andrew, again, there is this continuance of of a witness line, this continuance of a witness base. If so, you would have John the Baptist, the one witness, spoken of John 1, 7, that through him all might believe. You have John the Baptist impacting Andrew, Andrew impacting Simon Peter, Andrew, if we're taking the he in verse number 43 as Andrew, Andrew impacting Philip, and Philip impacting Nathaniel. We have this ever-broadening base of people and witnesses because of where it started with one person, John the Baptist, his role as a witness he took right, and he's impacting several. All men through him might believe. Amen. I pause. If you need to go back and watch that again, do so. We're walking, all right? Amen. Amen. In each of these episodes, where people are introduced to the Lord, or the Lord is introduced to people. Again, the deal of true concrete belief is not totally sealed, it would seem, until they've had an encounter with Jesus. That speaks volumes to me. Because there is a pattern. The witness testifies about the Lord in some way. For John, it's behold the Lamb of God. You know, uh, uh, whenever we look at Andrew coming to Simon, he's talking about we found the Messiah, which is the Christ. All right. Uh, Whenever we find some of the others like Philip and Nathaniel, he says, this is the one that Moses and the the prophets spoke of. This, This is Jesus of Nazareth. This is the son of Joseph. So they give their testimony about Jesus, and then they either bring Jesus to the person or they take the person to Jesus. As a matter of fact, Philip is the only one that we don't have any proclamation because it is evident, whether it was Jesus that said something to him or Andrew that said to him, that Jesus was there already, all right? That Jesus was there already. And so John the Baptist, again, Lamb of God, after he states that, those two boys, follow Jesus, those two disciples, Andrew and the other one unnamed, follow Jesus and have interaction with Jesus. The two disciples, they call him rabbi, which is master. Andrew goes to Simon. He said, Messiah is the Christ. And what happens? Andrew takes Peter to Jesus. And there's an interaction there between Peter and Jesus. All right? Amen. Andrew and Jesus have some type of interaction with Philip. Philip. Again, saying all the things that he did concerning the Lord, he takes Nathaniel to Jesus, and Nathaniel's taken to Jesus, and there's an interaction there, and boom. Belief. You are the king of Israel, Nathanael's saying. He calls him rabbi, the son of God. Amen. So I believe it's clear, even here through the closing verses of the chapter, that our witness, listen to me, our witness, all through one, Starting all the way to John the Baptist, continuing even yet today. Our witness needs to lead people to an interaction between them and Jesus in order for their belief, uh huh. Their committal, their trust to be concrete, complete in the Lord. All right? Our witness is important. It is. Uh, Our witness is important, but meeting Jesus makes all the difference in their belief. They need a voice to direct them, but they need to come in contact with him. Amen. Because when they come in contact with the Lord, you see this in John 1. Jesus has the ability to allay any doubts. Jesus has the ability to allay uh, any of the mistrust that they may have. If they can just get an encounter with Jesus, some of the questions they had before meeting him are no longer a question because they've had an encounter. That's the reason why also I let me tell you this, it's very important. And one of these days we're gonna get back in this sanctuary. The reason why it's so important concerning our praise and our worship and what happens in our services Sundays, more Sunday morning, the night, and Wednesdays is that we're hoping that all the witnessing we've done through the week, if you brought somebody to the house of God, we're wanting them to have an encounter with God. We want them to have an encounter with Jesus. We want their questions to be allayed and their doubts, amen, to be squelched, that their faith. Would grow because why they had an encounter with the Lord, but we got to set a stage in the atmosphere, some type of condition, if you will, for hopefully that heaven would come down to earth. We, we we have as our tagline first apostolic church, where heaven and earth connect, we need to have a connection for an encounter with the Lord, because the encounter with the Lord we know makes all the difference. They could go their whole life and come to know me and that will do nothing for their end of life. They could go through their whole life and know somebody in the church, but that will not advantage them anything on the day that the trump sounds. They need an encounter with the Lord. Amen. Need an encounter with the Lord. Started running there instead of walking, didn't I? And so these first two disciples... They're following the Lord. And you know how it is whenever somebody's following you and you don't even know they are at first and you just feel like somebody's behind you, right? Or if someone's staring at you, you can just almost feel their eyeballs piercing through you. The Bible says that Jesus turns and he addresses them. This is good, folks. This this is why we need encounters with the Lord. Watch this. Jesus wants to know what seek ye. That's the question he asked them. What seek ye? Their response is another question. He says, what seek ye? They ask Jesus, where do you live? <laughs> where dwellest thou? Consider this. We need an encounter with the Lord because people that endeavor to follow the Lord are looking for some things. Jesus knew that. That's the reason why he poses the question. I know on the literal sake, but let's raise it to a spiritual plane. People that follow the Lord do so because they are looking for something. And so Jesus asks, What seek ye? And they say, We want to know where you do well. We want to know where you stay, where you remain, where you continue to exist. All of those are definitions of the word dwell in the Greek. Not only did they see, the Bible says, he said, come and see. Not only did they go and see where he abode, but they abode there with him the rest of the day. Hallelujah. They abode with him the rest of the day. Folks, don't you think for a moment that abiding where he is isn't going to have an impact on you? amen abiding where he is it's going to be a lasting impression upon them because they abode where the lord abodes matter of fact when we get later 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 weeks months years in our study later the john chapter number 15 john brings up this word abode it's almost like a little uh word that he he favors he's talking about this idea of vine and branches and he if the branch will abide in the vine and the vine and the branch then there's fruitfulness there's there's production And he's bringing all this folks. And he was speaking about how he was divine. Or if we would abide with him or in him. And him, amen, the Lord in us. That it was going to bring some type of produce or production in our life. It was going to be favorable for us, all right? It's going to be favorable for us and, and productive to us in our lives. Amen. Also, if you look again, Simon Peter, again, the two disciples brought Simon Peter brought to Jesus and look here's the interaction here's some of the importance of having interaction why witnessing must go from the proclamation to the interaction Simon Peter's brought to Jesus and what happens in that moment Jesus looks at Simon Peter and he tells him thou art Simon the son of Jonah thou shalt be called Cephas being interpretation of stone." The interaction for Peter was this. Jesus could stand there and look at him and tell him who, he says, this is who you are. But this is who you shall be. Woo! We need to have the encounter and the witness because the Lord can look at us and say, I know what your current standing is. But that's not always going to be your standing. This is who you are at this moment, but you're going to be. Whoa! Hallelujah. You're going to be, hey man, Cephas, you're going to be a stone. You're going to be somebody with some stability because nobody, listen to me right now, in that scenario with that encounter with Jesus, nobody knew better than Peter that he was a far cry from being stable. A rock, a stone. He would be the man that would operate on a whim and knee-jerk reactions oftentimes. He'd be the one that in the garden as, as the soldiers are coming, the band of men to take the Lord and the betrayal kiss was going to come, he would be the one that would cut off the ear of Malchus and then be chided by the Lord. He would be the instable one that would speak to the Lord and say, hey, listen here, Lord. He says, I'll, I'll, I'll even die with you. Have to worry about me denying you. I'll, I'll even die, die with you. And it wasn't too long after that, guess what? He's denying the Lord three times. Peter is the one that even in John 21 the last chapter of this book just kind of the whimsical notions that he has they surface again as he announces one day out of the blue in John 21 and the way it's stated it's almost like that at least in their English Bibles he just like you know looks at the, uh, some of the other side and says you know what I go fishing I mean that's Peter you know what I'm saying I mean he'd be the one to wake up tomorrow morning and say you know what I think I'm just going to take off for California it's just, you know, it's just Peter he's in his just never know what he was going what he's going to do But Jesus tells this man who he is and who he will be and who, might I say, he was capable of becoming because of the encounter. (laughs) So the process was there before him, of course. It's going to take a process to get Simon Peter to become the Cephas, the stone that God had for him. But God, here's the great thing about God. Here's the great thing about our Savior. He has the procedure for carrying it out if we'll believe in him, if we'll trust him, if we'll commit and obey to him. Now look, so here it is. That's, that's an encounter. Let's look at another encounter real quick concerning the bringing of Nathaniel brought to Jesus. Jesus says to him in verse 47, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Now look, verse 48, continuing. Nathanael saith unto him, speaks back to Jesus, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Folks, there's some other stuff in these two verses right there that we could talk about, but I can't. Okay, not right now. Because it's not going along with our purpose right here tonight. Based upon Jesus' answer, of having seen Nathanael before Philip even called him, because that's what Jesus said. I saw you before Philip ever called you. Based upon that, the Bible relates to us that Nathanael accepts Jesus as his rabbi or his master. Because here's something that Nathanael understood. Notice the question Nathanael asked. Whence, whence knowest thou me? I mean, you know, how can this be? Whence knowest You say, Behold, a Israelite, indeed whom is no God. Whence knowest thou me? But Nathanael understood this from what Jesus responded to him. He understood that Jesus saw him before he ever came to Jesus. He understood that Jesus saw him when he couldn't even see Jesus. Nathanael understood that Jesus knew Nathanael. Folks, we need an encounter with the Lord because there's some people that understand that need to understand that before they knew even the Lord or could see the Lord, the Lord already knew them. He's an Israelite indeed, perhaps as an Israelite, Nathaniel was remembering because these folks, man, when we talk about these people, these people were entrenched in the scriptures. They knew God's word much of it came before written down. It's oral tradition. They are familiar. OK, perhaps some things that Nathaniel is calling back to his mind that I thought of whenever he asked the Lord, whence knowest thou me? Maybe he remembered it after the Lord spoke a Psalms 139 and one where the psalmist cried out, oh, Lord, thou hast searched me and know me. That goes on to talk about how we are fearfully and wonderfully made how we are sown together in our mother's womb the lord sees and knows knows all the details of our life right there in that moment the making of us before it even comes to fruition perhaps he remembered the oh uh, a prophet jeremiah in jeremiah 1 and 5 where the word of the lord came to him and said before i formed thee in the belly i knew thee and before thou camest forth out of the womb i sanctified thee i ordained thee a prophet to the nations say hold on hold on God told Jeremiah that before he was formed in the womb, he knew him. This guy, he knows me. We've not met. We've not had this interaction. You know, who is this? This is the in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word was made flesh. This is God manifested. This is an awful lot like God because it was God. Amen. Perhaps his mind went back to that. Nonetheless, Nathanael here, Now I'm, I'm hastening to a close. Nathanael here is much like the Samaritan woman that we'll come up on later in John chapter number four. The Samaritan woman at the well that is convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. Remember, Nathanael here, he's convinced he's the son of God, the king of Israel. Look, if you will, John 4, verse 25. The woman saith to him, she's speaking to Jesus. I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, all right. Messiah's Hebrew, Christ's Greek, they both mean the same, the anointed. I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, she says, he will tell us all things. Jesus says in verse 26, Jesus said to her, I speak unto thee am he. Now look at verse 29. After she's had this conversation about the living water and all this, and he spoke to her about her five husbands, and one she with now, blah, blah, blah. Nah. She goes back to Samaria to all those people. In verse 29, she says, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Boom. You see, what happened in that moment with the Samaritan, Jesus spoke into her life things about her life that he wasn't there to see or observe. He saw her when she thought he hadn't. He knew her. Woo! Hey man, even in some of her, if you will, uh, promiscuous lifestyle type of settings, he knew her. She says, this is the Christ, this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God. Nathaniel says, he's the King of Israel, he's the Son of God. Folks, I want you to know this last portion of John is stacking up terms left and right upon us. Just consider real quickly, if you will, with me, John calls him the Lamb of God, they're calling him Rabbi, Master, Messiah, Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of John. Moses, son of God, all of these are in those last verses. King of Israel, son of man, and they're all referencing the same person. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Because to the Jews, the Messiah or the Christ, the son of God, they were all the same to them. All right? Because we see this in Matthew. Jesus is, Jesus is going through his trials. Leading up to his crucifixion, in Matthew 26, you can read it in verses 63 and 64. The high priest Caiaphas, a Jew, questions Jesus during his trial. And he says this, tell us whether thou be the Christ, comma, the Son of God. To that Jew, he was saying, the Son of God is the Christ. The Christ is the Son of God. The anointed one is the Son of God. The Messiah is the Son of God. And here's the thing, folks, and I close with this. If they believe that Jesus, this is the the hinge theme of of our whole book again. If they believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, believing they might have life through his name. So I present to you tonight, all through one, how powerful and beneficial is the role of a witness being that all might believe through one. Namely, the role that was played was a witness. The person that played it was John the Baptist. But we are for the purpose tonight, elevating and underscore, the role more than the person that all might believe through one witness. And since, and I don't know if you, I hope I can't see faces. If you're grasping what I'm saying, what started with John 1 has continued from then even till today's generation of the witness, word of mouth, testimony, people bringing people to Jesus or Jesus to people for encounters that they might believe on him and have life through his name. Amen. Amen. Well, glory. I hope in some fashion that was a blessing to you tonight. Again, I don't know if next week I'll construe a lesson from some of the particles or if we'll just kind of feed them to you in bite-sized chunks all throughout next week. Just me at my desk saying, and if you want to be a part of those, you can look at them. <clears throat> or if they're recording, you can go back and look at them. If not, I'll never know. And you won't hurt my feelings. won't that be wonderful? Amen. God bless you. This coming Sunday is Mother's Day. We are still in, uh, you know, mode for having things as they are. So, apologize to our mothers. We love and appreciate you. Uh, We will still be here on Mother's Day. I think my wife is going to give some type of special message to you all that uh, we'll include. But I am going to be ministering on, on Mother's Day Uh, We had a conversation. Nothing was just clicking for her and so on and so forth. So I'm just going to come and minister the word of the Lord on that Sunday morning. We will just have one service on Mother's Day, just keeping with our regular format. I know some of you may be, when I say estranged, I'm just saying separated uh, from your mother right now. But if your mom is at home, you're a kid, or your family's still at home, amen. Love her and appreciate her, amen, in that p.m. So God bless you tonight in Jesus' name, and we hope to see you on Sunday.